They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? What is up? What is up? What is up? iTunes in the house as well. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Download us, subscribe, check us out, tell your friends, do us all a favor. Joe Donald, John Meade here with you. Johnny Meats. oh yeah, just about uh, under a week from now, brother. Let me take in a little Daryl and John. <laughs> you are so obsessed with I'm so man. pumped, dude. <laughs> what do you think? What do I think of what? That group? Or? Yeah, Daryl and John, bro, a little hole and oats. Oh, man, it's good, man. A classic Philly, man. I love it. Yeah, I love it. They have like a, um, this summer. Listen to that like saxophone. Like Listen to that saxophone. <laughs> they're putting on some, uh, they're putting on like a concert in Philly every year. Down at like Festival Pier. Yeah, Hoagie Fest. summer. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, are you kidding me, dude? This is legendary. The ladies are going to be hot. The ladies are going to be hot for this, for this show on Monday night. Oh, uh, yeah, the Cougars are going to be out of oh, full yeah. force. That's for sure. They're going to be Cougar clan. I love it. I love it. Favorite Hall & Oates song would be what? I can't pick one because they're just too damn legendary. Your favorite Hall & Oates uh, song yeah. what? Oh, God. Why are you putting me on the spot? I have no idea. A little Rich Girl, like Sarah couple. Smile, Out of Touch. Rich Girl. Yeah, Rich Girl's good, but I always put in different lyrics, you know. You're a rich girl. And then I kind of say, you're a rich yeah, Anyway, yeah. but. How about uh, where do you come out in Hall and uh, uh, Private Eyes? Little Private Eyes are watching you. <laughs> private Eyes. All what right, clearly, mean? clearly the the apple fell too far from the tree between you and I and, and Hall and Oates. Yeah, I mean, what, did your dad introduce you to Hall and Oates? I mean, what? I mean, how, where did this love develop, man? <sighs> I mean, it had to come from somewhere. Long time coming, man. Been a long time. I have waited a long time to see Daryl and John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely uh, the parental units, you know. I remember back in the day for Christmas one year, this is a hell of a gift. I got a cassette tape uh, dubbed over one side was the police, probably greatest uh, hits or something. The other side was, uh, R- was REM Green. Wow. Yep. Yeah, my dad's chicken scratch handwriting on there. I wonder if that thing's still I'm, around, Paddock Road. Yeah, well. I'm a dev, I'm a big fan of the police, man. Yeah. The police used to get after it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Solid all stuff. Right. All right, well, let's get into it. Brotherly Love Podcast, SoundCloud.com and iTunes. Joe Donald, John Mita. Follow us on Twitter, at Love Podcast. Appreciate all the support. As always, we're going to talk a little NFL draft. We previewed the draft last week. The Eagles have made their selections, obviously. The, uh, the, the Philadelphia faithful turned out. In droves, it was at a quarter million people for the draft over the weekend on the steps of the Art Museum. So great job by the entire city of brotherly love. Uh, we will not begin there, but we will get to the NFL draft and how the Eagles fared. We'll also talk a little bit about the Flyers, speaking of drafts, hitting a, 
hitting a bit of a home run in the lottery, and uh, we'll get there as well. Uh, but, John Mita, before we actually jump into things, just your overall sense of the atmosphere and how Philadelphia, the city, performed for the draft. It was excellent. It caused a lot of resonance to kind of live in the Fairmont Art Museum area. caused them some headaches, but it was an incredible turnout. We couldn't have asked for better weather in the city. It was just, you know, 75 degrees, sunny. It was just absolutely perfect. The crowd was great. You know, Philadelphia Police Department reported zero arrests throughout the course of the draft. Now, I don't know if they're hiding a little bit of that, but zero arrests is a great number. It was a great turnout. Well done by Ron Jaworski and his group of people to bring the draft to Philly. It was excellent. It it looked beautiful on television. I'm sure it was great to be there in person. I wasn't. I talked to a couple people that were there, but it was, uh, you know, it was a great event. And hopefully Philadelphia did such a good job of, you know, hosting it. They have an opportunity next year as well to host the draft. It'll come down to them and probably L.A. And again, it'll probably go to L.A. since they'll be breaking in their na- their brand new stadium, something like that. But, uh, yeah. All in all, it was it was great for the city, all right. and all the all all the fans did a tremendous job. And obviously, the the four letter network, the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN, covering that thing, hours upon yeah. hours on end. And uh, let's actually start there with ESPN and the massive layoffs they they uh, basically rolled out over the last Ooh. week or so, and, and even still more trickling in over the last few days. Uh, but about 100 employees, ESPN employees, losing their jobs in a round of cutbacks. There's a number of ways to look at this thing. I'll just kick it off, Johnny Mita, with, with a few thoughts here. This, you know, um, And what we do on the Brotherly Love podcast is, is sort of um, a sign of the times, podcasts. I mean, years ago, there were no podcasts. Uh, and so when you look at other avenues for people to get their content, it is such a society now on content every second, on refreshing content, on what have you done for me lately, that the news cycle has changed dramatically. That's, that's not a news flash. That, that's been coming over a number of years. But uh, the, the ability to stream sporting events live on your mobile app, on your computer, on your, uh, you know, your, your iPad, your tablet, whatever the case is, uh, get the games illegally on web streams. I mean, you, you basically can't go anywhere anymore and not find a game if you're on the road and you don't always have to use ESPN through Comcast, through DirecTV, through Dish Network. The, 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 the industry has changed so much lately. So you can chalk this up, these cutbacks to these uh, cable subscriptions, which are down, um, you know, some of the high costs ESPN has for the NFL and NBA games that they have paid huge rights fees for. Any way you slice and dice it, good people lost their jobs. Talented, talented individuals lost their jobs. And, you know, some of them are stunning names. I think Trent Dilfer is an outstanding NFL analyst. I, I really enjoyed his work on ESPN the last few years. He's gone. Jason Stark, who covered Major League Baseball for ESPN for a decade and a half. He's gone. Ed Werder, uh, longtime reporter of the National Football League. You saw him every Sunday. He's gone. I mean, there weren't these weren't small pieces of... These weren't small pawns on the ESPN chessboard. Some of these guys were legit. Now, do they have huge salaries, maybe overpaid in the eyes of management? Who knows? But it was very, it was sort of a dark and depressing day because ESPN uh, will always be the leader. 
They will always be the leader in sports because of the brand they've built, because of their platforms, because of their, their massive size and reach. But at the same time, some of their content's horrendous. And did they water their content down a bit? Did they have too much going on, too many reporters, too many guys breaking stories, meaning like bloggers and, you know, it's just, it's chaotic right now. But for all these people that lost their jobs, it's it's tough sledding. This is a tough industry. There are only so many jobs available. You've seen lately more opportunities for females and minorities in the sports, radio, and TV industry as the uh, as the industry grows that way and opens up more doors for essentially more walks of life. You know, the Chris Berman, uh, you know, six-year-old white guy, you don't see that as much anymore. Sports has become more hip. Sports has become more... Um, a wide demographic, and I think you're seeing, you know, a changing landscape, and you have for years between the streaming, the personalities, this need for content, uh, the mobile apps. I mean, everything has become so web-based and and blogs that it's kind of crazy right now. And some of these old school heads lost their jobs, and over a hundred people basically losing their jobs, and it ain't gonna be easy for them to find work. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the more notable names on ESPN. I mean. Look at their number one radio show, Mike and Mike, Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick, and their show is no longer. You're talking about their number one rated morning show for how many years, and that's no longer the case. And I don't know the type of numbers that a lot of these personalities were making, but Stephen A. Smith apparently makes $3 million a year. You want to talk about travesty, how that guy kept his job. Yeah. Cable in general. I mean, cable is expensive. My cable bill is like two hundred dollars a month. Of course, I get every channel in the world, but it's still, you know, that's expensive. And like you touched on before, there's so many different avenues. I mean, and people are getting fire sticks, and there's certain type of boxes where people can stream great programming and not get hit in the wild. I also think ESPN kind of just. They got too big for their britches. Like you said, they paid out all these millions of dollars and trying to get TV rights. And you know, Monday Night fo- Football for the last five years, I think, has been a tremendous failure. They were getting crappy games. It just, it just wasn't like it used to be. But it's a shame to see all these great, talented people lose their jobs. You're talking, you, you didn't really hint on the exact number, but from what I read in several articles, that they were losing 400,000 subscribers a month. And the other thing is a lot of it was some people just got fed up with them because they became too political, like that their views were too liberal or they were too left. And you see the battle route of CNN versus Fox, left versus right, and you see that and you know it's just apparently all the things that they cover with some of the protests it's got apparently they lost viewership that way so yeah i don't know what how how they're gonna fix it and and then some other networks have kind of improved their you you look at a, a a competitor of espn i guess fox sports one and you have you know they've stolen a lot of some of the former espn and yeah, I know they've the gotten some thing. of that talent, but I'm going to ask you this. If you're not flipping the Fox Sports 1 to find an actual game, a game broadcast, play-by-play, right. live sports, right. are you turning them on? Right. Probably not. No. That's a good point. That, I, that's the thing. Yeah. I never, ever channel. Yeah. It's channel 219 on DirecTV. 
I don't ever put on Channel 219 unless I'm looking for a game, and it's mainly Villanova hoops because they carry the Big East. Right. That's it. That's it, man. I don't ever go there. I don't ever watch their programming. I don't ever watch their version of SportsCenter. That's what I'm saying. ESPN has created a brand that will carry itself regardless of who they fire, who they hire, how many cable subscribers are dropping. People just think ESPN. They think think SportsCenter. They think ESPN Radio because they've built this platform. And, you know, again, there are a lot of good people that lost their jobs by no fault of their own. It's just the company decided to make cuts to save some money, to allocate resources elsewhere. It's a shame. And, and for it to come in the way it did, by all accounts, somewhat cold-blooded, and with a phone call and a recorded, you know, a, a, a predetermined script for a lot of these people, and, and, yeah, and, an, and an HR spokesperson on the other end of the call to make sure that nothing was missaid or misinterpreted, so they cover their ass. I mean, can you get more corporate than that? It's no, embarrassing. Especially for the for, for the personalities or the writers or the reporters that have given so many great years uh, to help their product be the number one in sports and to get a recorded message. I had a close family member of mine. She was um, she was with this company for like twenty years and she was out at like a conference and she got like a phone call the night before the conference was starting. Just like you said, with an HR person online, like you've given yourself to that company and the best you're going to get is, is just a recorded message. It's like a bad breakup with a girlfriend. Like, yeah, I'm going to text you. I'm just going to break up with you. Yeah, we're done. Click. I mean, that's kind of cold-hearted. So, yeah. Good point there. And, yeah, and so. on top of it, you mentioned Stephen A. Smith. You know, here's a guy that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but he is a lightning rod for... Uh, conversation, for debate, for, you know, all those sorts of things that will help keep people tuned in. Um, And I know his, you know, some of these shows, they don't do great ratings-wise because I've seen people chirping them on social media about how, you know, Dora the Explorer drew in three times the number of first take or whatever that damn show is he's on now. You know, I'm seeing some of these things because people people are pointing out that it's it's not the best programming. Sometimes it's lazy programming. Sports Center just repeating itself. Um, some of the stuff that they use as story. You know, you watch like, I know it's not ESPN, but the NFL Network. They'll put on the top 50 of this, the top 50 of that. And it's just like, this is almost mindless programming. But you'll flip to it because you're a sports fan. You're looking for something to kill some time. You pop on ESPN. You pop on ESPN too. You put on the NHL Network. And whatever's on, you might just leave on. So they're almost by default going to continue to draw numbers, whether or not they're actually putting in the time and effort to come up with creative programming. And these rights fees are so expensive uh, for the NFL, for the NBA games that they have, for Sunday Night Baseball, I'm sure, that they're getting crushed uh, with costs. And then on top of that, maybe the ad dollars aren't backing that up. And then you've got talent fees. I mean, I'm sure ESPN financially – uh, especially with the declining cable subscribers, saw this move coming for a while, but it just seemed to be very cold-blooded. And again, I just feel for a lot of these people, they're not colleagues of mine, but having worked in the same industry for a long time, I know just how hard it is to move up the ladder, how hard it is to get a good job, how hard it is to keep that job, and on top of that, you've got to put in a ton of hours. A lot of these guys put hours behind the scenes that people don't realize, and they don't get rewarded for it at the end of the day, when the biggest company sports-wise globally 
just cuts her legs out from underneath them, and, and it appears to be kind of a, you know, it was a very dark day for the industry, and I don't know how it's going to get better. I really don't, because this trend is is not going to stop anytime soon. If ESPN not growing subscriber-wise, and on top of that, they're going to have to continue to slash people, I'd imagine. I mean, you don't make a move like this if you don't think it's going to help. But if it doesn't help, you've got to make more moves. I mean, that's that's plain and simple. That's business. So we'll see how it turns out. But certainly kind of shocking over the last week to see so many ESPN personalities, uh, writers, bloggers, etc., cetera, uh, losing their jobs. All right, Johnny Mita, let's go to the NFL draft. And uh, your Philadelphia Eagles making their selections, one first-rounder, a second-rounder, a third-rounder, two in the fourth, two in the fifth, and a sixth-rounder, and Elijah Qualls, the defensive tackle, the 214th pick. But they all uh, kicked things off, did the birds, with the number 14 overall selection. And uh, I don't think you were too pleased, considering your boy Reuben Foster was still on the board at that point. Disappointment. It's just the way the chips fell, I was getting extremely excited. Corey Davis goes off the board to Tennessee at five. I really had a great amount of interest in him. I thought that he might be able to fall to the Eagles. The next thing you know, here comes a running on quarterback. Trubisky, he moves up one pick. Andy Reid, our boy, Big Red Andy Reid, shocks the world, moves up to the 10th spot to take Patrick Mahomes. Then Deshaun Watson gets taken by Houston, who moves up, and I'm thinking, here we go, Reuben Foster. I start doing a Reuben Foster chant, and the Philadelphia Eagles select Derek Barnett from the University of Tennessee, and I love my television too much, so I didn't beat it, but I definitely wanted to beat something in the room, and i just disappointed. Here's a guy that felt to you, I know there, was, there might have been some lingering is, issues uh, with his shoulder. He had you know, a torn rotator cuff. They were thinking maybe medically he might have not been cleared, but this is a difference maker. He is right on the board, and I know he's not the absolute direct need, but if this guy turns out to be the next Derek Brooks or Ray Lewis or some 10-time pro baller, this smells like Brandon Graham and Earl Thomas all over again. Now, <clears throat> let's get to the selection of Derek Barnett. Okay, was it a good pick? Yes, it was a good pick. If Ruben Foster wasn't on the board, I think it would have been a great pick. But I do like the productivity in the SEC that this guy had. He had 33 total sacks. We definitely, desperately need a pass rusher because Vinny Curry, I don't know what he's doing. He's since he signed that contract, he's been left at the. He's got Michael Kendrick. He's got Michael Kendrick syndrome. Gets paid and oh my. vanishes ah, and disappears. Harry Houdini. So, which is good. It'll put a little notice on him. People are there to take his job. Maybe that motivates him. We can only hope. But if I was picking, you know, if Ruben Foster wasn't on the board, I probably would have taken the Washington corner that I just talked about and raved about. Kevin King, who didn't get taken to the next day, and then I would have moved into, I do like the Sidney Jones pick at 43. I know the guy's got to sit, sh- sit on the shelf for an entire year. He's got a torn Achilles tendon. But that was the guy that they targeted with the number 14th overall pick if he didn't blow his Achilles out of his pro day. And I heard a really new story of how one of the head, the head Eagle scouts was there on Sidney Jones's pro day and sent him a letter a couple days, and they developed a spectacular relationship. Uh, he was battling some medical issues of his own. He told Sidney to keep his head up and 
So I do like the fact the third round pick, we get another corner. This team desperately needed corners. I, I like the pick with Rasul Douglas. I thought that was good. So eventually we could get two starting corners out of this and improve your pass rush. So overall, I did like what they did there. The pickup of the wide receiver from North Carolina, the fourth rounder. That was the first total head scratcher for me. Why? Yes, I wanted them to take a receiver from North Carolina, but I wanted them to take Ryan Switzer, the old switchblade. He can he's a jack of all trades. He could do everything. The guy that you hated because he's related to Barry, but he could have been a punt returner for this team. He could have been a slot receiver for this team. If you decide to move on from Jordan Matthews, who in all likelihood is going to get paid next year, and he was right there for the taking, and we take some guy that they come out and say, well, this guy's a tremendous special teams player. I got news for you, Eagles brass, okay? Don't come out and tell me that this guy's like a special teams maven and we're picking him in the fourth round. Okay, you want to give that title to somebody? Okay, give it to somebody in the sixth or seventh round that this guy's a special team demon. We need difference makers in the first four rounds of the NFL draft. That's what we need. Don't give me this guy's a good special teams player, could be a decent receiver, yada, yada, yada. No, that's just a terrible way to phrase it. Well, look, I mean, and on I, top of that, the Eagles special teams are near the top of the league every year with Dave Phipp as the coach. We don't need special right. teams help. Right. He, gets exactly. the, he gets the most out of the bums and the, uh, and the special teams captains, the aces, getting downfield, the Chris Maragoses of the world. You don't need Mac Hollins yeah. to play special teams. If Mac Hollins Mac at some point is going to be your number three receiver or number two receiver a couple years down the line, um, you know, is he going to even play special teams then? Probably not. Yeah. Well, apparently this guy, Mac Collins, he would have been, from what I read, he would have been a second-round pick. Oh, I'm tired of this would have been. Would have been. I, here's what I heard the other day. All right, here's what I heard the other day. Mike Lombardi was on, all right? Long-time, well-respected uh, football mind, right? He's worked in front offices. He's worked with Belichick. Uh, who else? The, the, who who was the other front office he worked with? Green Bay, maybe. Um, Raiders. Yeah. Raiders. So, so he for the Raiders for a little bit. He, he talked about the other day on some national radio that Belichick's philosophy, and I'll trust Bill Belichick. Thank you very much. That you don't slot a guy. This guy, we think this guy's this round. No, you talk. You look at what can this player be for our football team, and if you think he's a Pro Bowler, he's your first round pick. If you think he's a serviceable starter, you look for him in the second round. If you think he's a role player, that's sort of round four or five. Like, there's none of this. This guy would have been. It's all what you need and what you value in that player, that prospect. So enough of this. And it's not just you, John Mead. It's everybody. Well, this guy should have been a second rounder, but he was hurt. And, like, I don't want to hear that crap. Is this guy worth a damn? And you know what the other thing kind of bothered me about the draft? is all this character talk. I'm tired of having character football players, high character guys, high motor guys, great in the locker room, loves Jesus. I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore, all right? I just saw on social media, Zach Ertz, Carson Wentz, two or three other guys had a great weekend celebrating Christ and blah, blah. I don't care anymore. I don't care. What do you do on Sunday when you're not at church? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I, that is a great point. I discussed it with a good friend of ours, Danny, 
of the Bar Hampshire was just saying the same thing. Goes, I don't care about the character. I want to win Super Bowls. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, God, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Dude, Ray I mean, Lewis, Ray like, Lewis murdered somebody. He won a Super Bowl. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Bill Belichick yeah. had a guy that was who was basically a multi like a mass murderer on his on his roster at one point. You know, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski is not a role model. All right, about the yeah, only guy yeah. on that Patriots team that is like a decent human being by s- at least most accounts is, is Tom Brady, and they they got lucky with him drafting him like in the seventh round. And he turned out to be the greatest quarterback ever. I mean, let let's be real about this. If you want to win, you need some badasses on your football team. You do. You need you need that attitude. I agree with you. I mean, look, look at previous like. History. Danny Watkins. Oh, he's a firefighter. Great in the community. Uh, he reads really well. Like, hey, we get Marcus Smith. This guy's humble. Like, I'm tired of humble. I'm tired of book smart. I'm tired of good in the community. For Christ's sake, get somebody that between the hours of 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. on a Sunday or Monday or occasionally a Thursday, brings their lunch pail, and wants to kill the guy on the other side of the field. To some of these guys, it doesn't always work out that way where you take this guy with some character issues. Sometimes it turns out he's just a bad seed, and it's a bad pick. But you look at guys like Warren Seth. Ah, he failed a process. Listen, if if he's only smoking marijuana, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. He turns out to be a Hall of Famer. You look at guys like, well, Derek Brooks from his same team. You know, he got in trouble stealing sneakers from Foot Locker. Back he turns out to be a Hall of Famer. You look at a guy like Randy Moss. He had more character issues than anybody. Turns out he's one of the top five wide receivers of all time. So those guys that had some issues that they don't want to take. Perfect example, like people were scared to death to take Tyrone Matthew with him, you know, failing out of school and his issues at LSU. Yeah, he turned there's out to be pretty good. I, yeah. There's a guy that I cried for. Another guy, Vontez Perfect. The badass middle linebacker from the Cincinnati Bengals. I wanted him big time. I was a huge fan of his. This guy, Mike Mayock's like, he's undraftable. Yeah, well, he's a pro bowler and a badass. So I take him on my football team. So you bring up some great points. I agree. The good character guy, I'm on board. You don't want somebody that's going to separate your locker room. They still have that bad taste in their mouth from the days of T.O., I guess. But you know what? Get us some Stone Cold Killers on Sunday. Yeah, but there, there's a for. difference between a T.O. personality, which is too large for the room, too large for life, and a guy that's like a, a choir boy. There, there's, a, there's a huge difference there. And a lot of these kids coming out of school aren't going to be that disruptive. They're going to get their heads taken off by the veterans. If you have good veterans, why do you need young guys that, like, want to just have to fall 110% in line. You don't need that. Your older guys hold them accountable. Like Hugh Douglas and Jeremiah Trotter, they were holding T.O. accountable when he was being a donkey that year, by all accounts. Right. Right? You weed him out. If he's a bad apple, you weed him out. All right, what do you think of the running back in the fourth round, uh, Donald Pumphrey? You know, if you look, it's a great... Clark Kellogg says, this guy's a stat sheet stuffer. I mean, 5,000 rush yards, 1,000 you know, receiving yards in a college career, that's pretty ridiculous. 
And a lot of yards out, uh, a lot of yards after contact. I saw today. Saw some footage yeah. of them, some highlights. Obviously, yeah. highlights are highlights. They're not going to show them fumbling right. the ball. But I saw a right. bunch of highlights and a lot of plays after contact, uh, despite being small, where he actually had more yards after contact than Leonard Fournette last year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's an and he hasn't had an injury history. The guy was pretty healthy all throughout college. He's a lot like Scholes because he's small in stature, but, man, he is – but he plays larger than his than his size. So – I do like the pick. Do I also think it kind of – there was a couple running backs. Guy like – they went to the Saints late, which was Alvin Kamara out of Tennessee. And if we didn't take Sidney Jones, I thought he would have been a great versatile running back and kind of do everything for your football team. But I do like the pick. But this team is we're, – we're still lacking depth in several areas. So corner, even though we drafted a couple corners, it's still an issue for this football team. Receivers, yes. Did we go out and sign some receivers in the offseason? We clearly did. However, we don't have any young receivers in the fold. Now, we drafted a couple, one from West Virginia. Our buddy, Buddy Holly, from North Carolina, whatever his name is, Matt Collins, Buddy Holly. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, so, well, hey, look, your one injury at the wide receiver position from being right back where you were last year, which is not good enough. Right. Right. And, and a cornerback right now, Jalen Mills is probably going to be penciled in as a day one starter, where he was a seventh-round right. pick last year who certainly had some ups, uh, but I don't even think he realized how bad he was at times because he just kept waving his finger despite giving up 70-yard pass plays. Uh, oh, God. So we'll, we'll see there. Look, there will be some free agent cuts. There will be some free agent ca- yeah, you know, cap right. casualties. So there will yeah. be an opportunity there to bring no, somebody yeah. in. And maybe Patrick Robinson stays healthy. And, and and play some meaningful snaps for this football team, one of their free agent signings. I guess you gotta look at it that way. Um the running back position though, you know, again, is I think you still have to look at corner and running back as possible late free agent signings to boost to boost the Eagles roster. The one thing I was surprised to, Joe, is that Howie didn't engineer one trade. Yeah. I mean, it's Mike a guy like Michael Kendricks, still pretty young in his career. Somebody in the right system might see great upside in a guy like that. I thought maybe they could trade either Kendricks or a guy like Jason Kelsey on the last year of a deal. He's only making like $6.25 million. This guy's been selected to the Pro Bowl several times. I thought maybe they could make orchestrate a deal with getting another third round, possibly a fourth round pick, even a fifth, just to give you more picks to bring in some youth and maybe get rid of some guys that, we're kind of on the last legs of their contract or just didn't fit your system. I was surprised that, you know, several guys like that stayed on the roster. Now, we'll see what happens in the future. But, I mean, that was kind of shocking to me that there was no movement with some of the veteran players on this football team. All right, let's jump to uh, another draft that's upcoming in June. And after the NHL has its uh, its expansion draft, there'll be the amateur draft, the uh, the the entry draft, the 2017 NHL entry draft, and the Philadelphia Flyers with a little bit of luck. Ron Hextall must have had his uh, magic his magic waffle board in his in his suitcase. Uh, they pull off a, a hell of a move up the up the ladder, John Meter. They go from basically being slotted at the 13th pick, maybe as low as 15 or as high as 15. I guess you want to phrase it that way. And the Philadelphia Flyers end up with the number two overall pick this June in the 2017 NHL Entry Draft, which means they're going to get a top player, no question. 
Uh, and right now it looks like a, a two-horse race. Your initial reaction to the Flyers jumping that far up in the lottery? Well, finally, okay, for, <laughs> for one of these franchises to get some good luck when it comes to lottery. No, I thought it was, it, it's awesome. It's a shame that there isn't a pick of a litter of, like, six can't-miss prospects. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're telling me it's only a two-horse race, so I'm like, uh-oh, okay. But if one of these guys doesn't pan out, and, you know, it's the James Van Riemsdyk thing all over again. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's my only worry. It's awesome. You always want to be in that position. Clearly, when you're in that position, you'd have a really good season the year before. But it's exciting. You know, finally, can maybe we can land a superstar forward that this team is lacking, and an energizer guy that can put up, you know, 40 goals in a season. Well, that you, would be amazing. You look at the way the National Hockey League is trending with these young stars. You look out to Edmonton, you see Connor McDavid. You look to Buffalo, you see Jack Eichel. Uh, Patrick Kane, obviously, the Flyers losing out on the ping-pong ball that year. The Blackhawks get him. They've won three Stanley Cups. I mean, it's... Matthews. Yeah, Austin Matthews in Toronto. Again, franchise-changing type players. And I don't know that anybody in this year's draft will be that guy. It's it's obviously too early to tell when you're talking about 17-, 18-year-old kids. Uh, But the opportunity for the Flyers to trade down if they want, trade out of that spot if somebody really... Uh, is is eyeing up one of these prospects. But regardless, you could get a guy that is a huge part of your franchise for the next decade, uh, whether that's a two-way forward, whether that's the top defenseman in the draft, uh, a goal scorer. I mean, there's just a number of ways to get better, get younger, and, and you don't get crushed salary cap-wise. You control these guys' contracts for four or five years uh, you know, through their entry-level deal and beyond. Then you qualify them. And you're not paying these guys squat, essentially, for a number of years. So hopefully a huge break for the Flyers. Uh, read some quotes from Ron Hextall today. He was talking a lot about how they were you know, scouting everybody, obviously, paying attention to the top four or five prospects, but really honing into that range of the 10 to 15 where they thought they'd land. And then, boom, they basically get a, a an early Christmas present here uh, with the number two overall pick. Here's the scoop I got. Uh, was unable to get much on uh, Nico Heischer. Uh, who plays out of Halifax in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Hopefully by the time we have our next podcast, we'll have some scoops on him. But here's what I got from uh, from a coach in the Western Hockey League. Now, Nolan Patrick, right now, according to NHL.com, is the number one overall skater, uh, North American skater, ranked is Nolan Patrick. Uh, his uncle is James Patrick, longtime NHLer. He's a six foot two centerman, goes a buck ninety eight. This Nolan Patrick. He currently plays in Brandon of the Western Hockey League. All right, the WHL for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, I, I texted a uh, a fellow coach, a uh, fellow coach, a coach I used to work for back in the day who coaches in the Western League. So he has coached against Nolan Patrick, who I believe has had some injury issues this year. He didn't play a lot of hockey, uh, but here is what uh, Kevin Constantine said. It was with the Everett Silver Tips last few years. He said he's tall, lanky, maybe a bit like Stamkos. Great hands, vision, and hockey sense. Not overly physical, but at the same time, no fear. Complete player. Called him a complete player. That's Nolan Patrick, who right now ranked as the number one North American skater by NHL.com. Nico Heischer, six foot one centerman. He plays in the Quebec League out of Halifax, the Halifax Mooseheads. Haven't been able to get a scoop on him quite yet, but hopefully by the next time the Brotherly Love podcast takes to the air. We'll have some scoop on him as well. 
it's just like I said before, it's just a shame that there's not like four guys that are just, you're like, yeah, these guys are going to be absolute stars. But it comes down to two guys in the entire, you know, not to say that you can't find diamonds in the rough, but it seems like a lot of these franchises and Philly are having trouble finding diamonds in the rough lately. So, well, the, the, yeah, it's exciting. The, 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 I guess the scary part is, is that the Devils hold all the cards, right? New Jersey won the lottery, which was somewhat surprising in its own right. They didn't have the worst record. And so if New right. Jersey decides, you know, hey, Pat, Nolan Patrick's our guy, you've just got to wait to see how those cards fall, and you got to go right. from there. Um, right. You know, you can never have enough defensemen. I know the Flyers have a stable young defenseman in their system. It looks like right now, though, NHL.com draft prospect rankings that the top six North American skaters are all center icemen. Um, as far as the European rankings go, NHL.com, again, more forwards up top. Their first three are, are forwards, all of which can play center. And then you get in some defensemen, and obviously you're not taking a goaltender uh, second overall unless there's an absolute can't-miss prospect, and it doesn't appear uh, that that's the case this year. So Flyers with a little bit of luck. They are in the second slot for the uh, 2017 draft. Make the NHL draft more exciting than it has been in years past. No doubt. Absolutely. All right, brother. Anything else you want to get into? You got a you got a dear God for us? <laughs> Do I have a dear God? No, not this week. I'll have a good one. I'll yeah, have a good one. Because my my dear God yeah. is dear God. Can the Phillies find a closer, somebody to finish games in the ninth inning? Oh, because they God. had one. Hmm. Oh yeah, Ken Giles. That's right. They traded him. I love Vinny Velasquez. I haven't seen any yeah. other returns from that deal yet, other than Vinny the kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I love yeah. me some Kenny Giles, and he'd be he'd be looking mighty fine closing out games right now for the Phils. But uh, Wait, how many saves does he have in Houston? Is he he's their closer, right? Uh, you know what? I was looking at that late last night. He had a kind of a kind of rough year last year. Um, it yeah. looked like he started slow, finished strong. I think he had fifteen or sixteen saves for them last year for the Astros. Right. Kenny Giles this year has thrown ten innings. He's zero and one. And uh, he struck out 14 batters in 10 innings. I'm sorry. So I think he's kind of more of an eighth inning guy for them. From Yeah, setup guy. Yep. But, you know, again, you look at the Phillies teams when they were rolling, uh, you can have two closers on your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need to have just one guy essentially um, back there. You know, if, if nah, somebody's I hurt, if somebody's struggling, then Giles can close. If not, he's setting it up. Yep. So. Nah, great point. Yeah, that was heartbreak. Could tell to give up back to back to back. That oh, was, that was brutal. Crushing. All anyway. right. Well, dear God, find a closer, Matt Clentak, in right. the Phillies. All right, but you gotta love the fact that the Fightings are still at the five hundred level. So. Yeah, yeah. Come on, I love that. Kidding me? We're not doing too bad. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, man. All right. All right, man. Good stuff, Johnny Mita. Get on out of here. You got it. always a pleasure. Close it out. Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast for John Mita, Joe O'Donnell signing off. Till next time. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.